Okay, welcome back. Welcome back to the second installment of our afternoon workshop looking especially at health ministry. And we're calling this the Holy Spirit's work in yours. You'll see why we've called it that after we get to the question at hand. I'm not going to spend a lot of time about the theme, but I think we'll help you connect the dots. And we're going to really, you've, you've been asking a number of great questions that we want to make sure that we answer while we're all here together. So um, that's what we're going to do. And uh, actually, I think as I'm, um, as I'm just thinking out loud here, we're going to invite the Lord to be with us as we study again together. And uh, then we are going to go first to the Scripture and lay the foundation, and then we'll come to the question, especially since I think the person who asked the last question is not immediately visible to me. Let's uh, just bow our heads as we begin. Gracious Father, you are so willing to instruct us, to teach us. And Father, the great privilege you give us is of being your co-workers, of being priests together with you. As Paul put it, we are ambassadors for you. So even though we don't need another priest beside Jesus, you have in your love and in your mercy given us these priestly roles to be co-workers with you. Help us now as we continue to study your word and as we continue to look at your counsel to appreciate just what you're calling us to do today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well I'm turning in my Bible right now to the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4 is where I'm going. And I'm going there because I've called this presentation the Holy Spirit's work and yours. Uh, it's mainly going to be an open-ended question and answer session. I know we've got another group question and answer session later today, but I think this is uh, one of the most profitable ways to spend our time. But what we're looking at here in Ephesians 4 is one of several, depending on how, whether, how you count them, three or four lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Going on in Ephesians 4, verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is Paul speaking about here when he's talking about spiritual gifts? What purpose does he say the gifts were given for? That's right, to build up the church, to bring us into unity, to bring us into the image of Christ. So we've been talking about how Christ's image was the image of the priest. And so not only are we given the charge to be priests in the New Testament, but we're also called to have that provision to do priestly work. Jesus not, 
let's put it this way, Jesus never calls us, never calls us to do anything but that which he is fully committed to fulfill in our lives. Do you believe that? God is not going to give you a vision or a calling to do something unless he is willing and planning to equip you to do that work. So when we're called to be priests, when you read through Ephesians 4, you don't see healing ministry there. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and you look at the list of spiritual gifts there, you will find that among those spiritual gifts is this call to healing ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to read the whole list, but if you look at verse 9, it speaks about the gift of faith as well as the gift of healing in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have a problem with most spiritual gifts seminars as they're done in Christian churches and in Adventist churches. Because I don't know if you've had a spiritual gifts seminar or a spiritual gifts inventory in your church, but by and large what I see happening when there's a spiritual gifts emphasis, I see a bunch of people telling me what they don't have the gift of. You know, that's not my gift. Now if you just look in 1 Corinthians 12, you see in those gifts, there is a gift of faith. Did you catch that in verse 9? So how about if the pastor is calling you to be faithful? Would it be an appropriate response to say, well, I don't have the gift of faith? What do you think? Yes, every man is given a measure of faith, the Bible tells us. God gives special bestowals of these spiritual gifts to individuals. But many of the spiritual gifts are given to everyone in some measure. And healing is one of them. We're all called to be involved in healing ministry. We're all called to teach, to share. It doesn't mean we're all called to be public teachers. We're all called, in some sense, to ministry, to preach as far as telling what Jesus has done in our own lives, right? Amen. So instead of looking at the gifts as saying, well, I, these are not things that are my gifts, what I would suggest to you is spiritual gifts gives us another window on what Jesus is calling the church to do. He's calling on every one of us to catch the vision that we have a role in health ministry. And as we looked at in our last hour, that health ministry starts with your own lifestyle. And it's a powerful ministry. One of you came up, and I, many of you could have come up and told me, another individual here today who's a health professional, a nurse, was telling me about her personal life, how she was not trying to give seminars or, or say I'm going to do a teaching program at my hospital where I worked. But people were looking at how she was eating. And they said, well, what are you, you, know, what are you having for breakfast? You know, and you know, what's, well, how come you're not drinking coffee? And so our lifestyle is a powerful witness. We want to come to this question now about where we're at today as far as medical ministry work. How does this fit in? with our Adventist hospital system and secular hospitals. First of all, let me tell you that um, I am the product of Adventist medical systems. I have either worked for or practiced in or trained in many of our large Adventist hospitals. I uh, did some uh, of my, uh, did a medical rotation at Hinsdale. I trained, got my MD degree at Loma Linda. I, uh, did my internal medicine residency at Kettering. I did some work for Kettering after I finished my residency. I uh, 
worked for Florida Hospital for uh, some four years doing preventive medicine for them. So I've, I've been involved with many of our Adventist health institutions. And I will tell you something. Uh, there are some wonderful things happening in Adventist health institutions. There are some wonderful people there, and there are some wonderful Seventh-day Adventists in non-Adventist health settings, okay? So I don't, have, I don't want to take anything away from any of that, but I've got to tell you something else. Where we're at as a church and where the world is at in the medical community is not fulfilling the call that we have as Seventh-day Adventists to have what Ellen White called sanitariums. It's a different creature. And that's a, you don't have to be defensive about it if you, you know, the CEO of an Adventist hospital. I'm not saying that God didn't call you there or that you're not supposed to be doing that. But what I am saying is there's a special calling for Adventist institutions, not just Adventist run as far as administration, but where the team was an Adventist team, where she speaks about every physician being converted where she speaks about spiritual ministry taking place from the entirety of the team. This is the most powerful witness. And I'm not saying that Weimar is, is uh, the pinnacle of fulfilling that vision. we got lots of problems at Weimar. I'm just going to let you know. But the Lord's doing a lot of things that are blessing there. I've been on the team there for seven or eight months and uh, left a mix of, uh, of pastoring and uh, running a health uh, education, health media company in northern New England. I was doing that for a number of years. But uh, so I'm back uh, teaching half-time at Weimar College and practicing medicine there with the New START program. And the, the Lord is doing amazing things there. And it never ceases to amaze me who God sends to these kind of programs. It's very humbling for me as a physician. Uh, many times God sends me patients that I don't know what to do for them. And, and that's often why they come, by the way. They've, they've been to a number of health centers or things aren't working, and they come to see us. And there have been many times in my experience where I say, Lord, why did you send me this patient? I mean, what, what do you want me to do for them? And so you pray, and you work together as a team, and God just does remarkable things. You know, since his sister was asking about coffee and caffeine, you know, we have so emasculated the Adventist health message that any, it's really weird. I'm just going to tell you. I don't know how else to describe it. But you see, once we think the world is saying something that we've known about as Seventh-day Adventists, we walk around, we say, we've known about that for a hundred years. Okay? But if the world isn't there yet, then we find many Seventh-day Adventists compromising and going back to, you know, following the world's counsel. And caffeinated beverages is one of them. Let me tell you a story about an Adventist minister that saw me some years ago. He didn't come to Weimar, so you don't have to try to figure out who I've seen in the last six or eight months. And he came to a program. This was one of those guys, what in the world is he doing here? I can't help him. The guy had chronic restrictive lung disease. He was on oxygen. I mean, you don't reverse that kind of stuff. I mean, he has chronic back pain. He has seen, he's had all the surgeries and seen the orthopedic surgery. I mean, what is he doing? At, the, at a lifestyle center with a bunch of admins, hydrotherapy, natural remedies. And, you know, what do you do when you see someone like that? I just go through the health message in my own mind, and I talk with the person. And as we're going through the medical history, he's using some caffeinated beverages, and I tell him some of the reasons why that's probably not best for his back pain and the vasoconstriction that happens with caffeine. And he, he, he was very nice, at least when he was in my office, but he told me he was really upset when he left. 
He had all these major problems, and I'm talking to him about caffeine. He, he told me this some months later. Because some months later, I saw him. I was traveling across country, and he implored me to come to his church. And he lined up all these meetings in the community he was living, and I went out and walked with this guy up mountains, no oxygen, okay? He has no back pain. Now, I'm not saying this was uh, uh, just human intervention, but, you know, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that when we use natural remedies, God adds supernatural blessings to them. And, and this guy told me the story about how upset he got about the caffeine, but he told me, now, you know, you could say this is just his opinion, but he felt that was one of the things that he had to give, that the Lord was calling him to leave aside that was part of the healing program. Now maybe you say, well, it was for the Lord's channel of blessing to come through to him more than the physiologic effects of the caffeine. I don't know how you want to explain it. But the point of it is, we are as Seventh-day Adventists often minimizing our message. And we go and we look at what Harvard is publishing in the nurse's health study or the physician's health study, and we say, you know what? They say it's okay to drink a little bit of alcohol. You know, it's good for your heart. And so what do we have? We have Seventh-day Adventists who are social drinkers, and they're social drinkers because they're a little bit higher level than the rest of the poor Adventists who just read those, you know, spirit of prophecy books and actually believe them. I'm serious. It's tragic. And I'll just tell you, since we've touched on that topic, just make it very clear to you, what the medical research literature indicates is that alcoholic beverages give no benefits to people who are already on an excellent lifestyle. I mean, think about it for a minute. There is data that shows that people on a lousy lifestyle get some heart benefits from alcoholic beverages. Well, where do the alcoholic beverages come from? They come from plants, that's right. Whether it's grapes, or whether it's sugar cane, or whether it's rye, or whether... And Americans are on a phytochemically impoverished diet. Phytochemicals, you know what those are, some of you. They're chemicals in plant products. You can only get them from plants. So you start drinking a little bit of wine, and when all you're eating is, you know, steak and uh, potato chips, and drinking Cokes, and you know what? You might get some beneficial agents in that wine that may help you some. But if you look at the Oxford Vegetarian Study, not Seventh-day Adventist, Oxford Vegetarian Study, you can look it up, you'll find that in that database there is no heart preventive benefit from moderate alcohol use in people already consuming lots of fruits and vegetables. So I could go through example after example, but we're coming back to the point now. And the point is simply this. God has called Seventh-day Adventists to have a unique approach to healing. And it includes teams of Seventh-day Adventist health professionals and lay people involved in ministry. Because uh, a medical center or a medical setting or a sanitarium does not just take health professionals to run it. Are you aware of that? We need good people with mechanical skills. We need people who have a vision to clean rooms as unto Jesus. Do you realize that? Do you realize when someone, that you can tell the difference? I can tell the difference. I've been a patient in the hospital before. I was nearly killed in a car accident a number of years ago. And I can remember telling which patient, which, which staff in the hospital really cared about me. You know, when they'd put those sterile gloves on, they weren't really sterile, but you know, they were clean gloves, and then they would empty the garbage can and then change my sheets. 
You see, I realized that they were really not all that interested in my health. Do you see? The way you do things tells for Jesus. And you have a team of people that are praying. I was working at a health institution for a number of years on this kind of sanitarium model. I've worked in a number. Um, if you want a list, uh, Wildwood, Living Springs, Lifestyle Center of America, Weimar, Center of Health and Education, okay? And so I've been in a number of these settings. One day, a woman in one of these settings came to me. She had been, this woman and her husband, not Seventh-day Adventists, had been to the Pritikin Center many times. Pritikin is a secular lifestyle program. And she said things to me like, you know, there's something different about this place. One day she came to me and she said, Dr. DeRose, I know what's different about this place. I said, what is it? She said, it's the prayers. The prayers. This is powerful. And so the answer to the question is, I believe that it's wonderful. I'm glad I trained at Adventist institutions. I know friends who did residencies in, in secular institutions and dealt with some issues that I never had to deal with, with language and music, and not that that can't happen in our Adventist institutions, but listen, it's a lot better than in many of the worldly institutions. There are many mission-driven people and God's working there. And when, when working in preventive medicine at Florida Hospital, we saw God do many remarkable things in the community. But I'll tell you, what's happening by and large in our Adventist hospitals is our percentage of Adventists is getting smaller and smaller. Our Adventist influence, and I'm, I don't know specifically about the institution you represent, but by and large, they're becoming less and less Adventist. Doesn't mean good things aren't happening. But there's a special call to us as a people. And you could say it's a call for someone else, that's okay. I'm not saying that you're called to it. But there's a call for us to start or to maintain or to help these institutions that Ellen White called sanitariums. And whether you like the name or not, it doesn't do much for us today in uh, 2010, does it? Sanitarium? No. But the vision is mission-focused, evangelistically-oriented, health institutions where teams of Seventh-day Adventist believers are working to minister to the body, to the mind, to the spirit of people. We can't lose that vision. We have to resurrect it if it's not present. And you know what part of that vision was? Those were to be the hubs of our medical work. But every church, every single church, was to be a hub in their community for health ministry. We were to have treatment rooms, medical treatment rooms in our churches. Now that doesn't mean your church is ready to do that, that you've got to do that tomorrow, but that's a vision that God gave to our church, and we can't lose that vision, okay? Now, there are a few other questions that came up that I'll answer before we take some more from the floor. Someone was asking me about medical training. You know, being a physician, of course, I went through medical training, and they were asking, you know, say, Dr. DeRose, it's obvious that you read the Bible, the spirit of prophecy. Were you reading that kind of stuff when you were a medical student? And I was. And um, Ellen White, in the book Medical Ministry, talks about medical training. And she talks about the importance of medical students being true to principle. Just like Daniel was faithful in Babylon, and we'll talk about Daniel tomorrow morning, the Lord willing, but we're to be faithful to God's principles where he's called us. And amazing things will happen. Um, I don't know how much detail to give you here, but since there were some specific questions answered, um, I will answer those in just a minute. But let me tell you background-wise. 
One of the great problems we have in the Adventist church today, I'll just be honest with you. Now, most of us here, we are stable in our relationships. That's why we're here. <laughs> or we're more interested in health. That's fine, too. I appreciate both groups. But someone told me, well, Dr. DeRose, you'll probably have a bit more mature audience here than in the other rooms. Well, I'm glad that there's a good number of younger folks here in our midst. Let me tell you something that is being missed in our many of our Adventist ministries, good Adventist ministries that are involving young people. I don't know intimately about what's happening Southwestern GYC. I'm very glad to be here. I see the Lord blessing in these meetings. It's exciting to be here. But I will tell you, I have met with many Adventist young people, and there is a sentiment among those who realize the times we're living in, the nearness of Jesus coming, to think that therefore they should not spend time in health training. Okay? Let me share something with you that I wasn't completely prepared to share, but I'll tell it to you anyway. Ellen White, if anyone sensed the imminence of Christ's return in their day, it was Ellen White, was it not? And as she was writing about the importance of health training and health institutions, she said something very telling that I want to share with you. And uh, I believe it's found in the sixth volume of the Testimonies, and we'll see how quickly the Lord can help us uh, find this on the fly here. But she's talking about the danger that she saw in her day of us thinking because of Christ, the nearness of his coming, that we would minimize the importance of starting even new institutional work. Let me ask you something. Um, how hard is it to start a health institution? It's very difficult. 6T440, 6 Testimonies 440. Here's what she says, listen. When the Lord shall bid us make no further effort to build meeting houses or churches and establish schools, sanitariums, and publishing institutions, it will be time for us to fold our hands and let the Lord close up the work. But now is our opportunity to show our zeal for God and our love for humanity. What she's saying is, don't fall into the trap of thinking whether it's your own personal preparation, I'm making an extension, but this is clear in her writings and other places, or in this statement here, our institutional preparation. We don't say, well, Jesus is coming, and why waste our money on churches? We need to just do evangelism, go door to door. It's wonderful to go door to door. Okay, I believe in it, I've done it, we, I've trained lay people in it. We were, I mean, but that's not all there is to it. You say it's low budget, Dr. DeRose. We are to be looking at fulfilling all of God's commission to us as a people. And that includes extending our work, not just closing schools down. We've become very good at that, haven't we? And by the way, I mean, we've, um, we've nearly, you know, Weimar nearly came to the point of, of closing a few years ago. We're glad that the Lord is, uh, is reviving that institution. It's exciting to see what's happening. Uh, some 60 students, I just got an email, in the college this year. That's up from zero a few years ago. The, the college had officially announced its closure, and then uh, Amazing Facts uh, came on board and brought their center of evangelism. Over 150 students on campus between the academy, the college, and uh, AFCO. So it's ex an exciting environment. But I tell you that because we can't lose that vision. 
And so when it comes to training as young people, a lot of them tell me, well, Dr. DeRose, I, you know, why should I spend years in training? Well, not everyone is called to spend years in training, but uh, in a short time, you can get training in a specific area. Maybe you're going to learn to be a phlebotomist or venipuncturist. You say, that doesn't sound like a real important job. But, uh, or maybe you're going to get specific training in massage therapy, okay? Um, so whatever it is, maybe you're going to get a, uh, an RN training in, uh, in a shorter scope than it would take to uh, have your bachelor's in nursing. Are you with me here? So God, I believe, is calling, and I'll tell you something, if we did it right, and some places are trying to do it right, and health professional training is, is more like this than, than other training, but, you know, Ellen White in the book Education speaks to us about the problem with education it's, as it's commonly looked at. And one of the things she talks about is we look at life as divided into two periods, a time of training and a time of service. And she says, on that model, people go to school and they train and they train and they train so long that they forget the, the reason that they were even training for. And they lose their way training to go into preparation for the Lord's work. Well, I want to tell you, when it comes to health professional training, it's usually very practical. But um, when I was in medical school, coming back to the question, uh, the Lord helped me to see that I needed to be involved in more practical things, even in my first two years of medicine, where we were doing just basic sciences. So I was involved in more practical things. And uh, when it came to undergraduate work, before I was in medical school, after I became an Adventist, the Lord helped me to see the importance of not just studying, but just like GYC emphasized, being involved in ministry while you're in training. And by the way, you know what one of the greatest fields for ministry is in health care training in the Adventist church today is? It's your peers. It's your peers. When you're living the Adventist lifestyle in an Adventist institution, don't you think they're Adventist students, quote, Adventist students that need your example? I mean, there are they need, they need seven, they don't just need unconverted people who were raised in Adventist homes at Loma Linda going to medicine. The Lord wants Christian Seventh-day Adventist converted physicians. And so if he's calling you to medicine, then I would say, follow the calling. Even if there's ten people telling you, sister, brother, you could be a Bible worker in four months at AFCO. I mean, AFCO is a wonderful program. Arise is a great mission college. I mean, all kind, and there's other ministries represented here that are training Bible workers. We need Bible workers. Every physician should be a Bible worker. But don't say, if God is giving you a vision for health preparation, to leave it aside, because we need those sanitariums. We need those Adventist health institutions in addition to whatever else we have right now. Okay? So I think I've touched on many of them. Let me come back to one other detail. Someone asked me about some specific things about medical training. They had some concerns. Um, one of them is about the counsel that Ellen White gives us about male and female physicians. She has some specific counsel about this, and I know some of it's in medical ministry. She speaks about how in our institutions, men should care for the specific diseases of men. She's speaking of male diseases, you know, urology, male urology, things like this. She, in fact, in one place says, women should utterly refuse to look on men in that area. Now you say, well, that was just her antiquated view of things. Um, I don't believe it was. I believe this was institutional counsel. And it's still institutional counsel for us. You could argue with my interpretation, 
But I believe it would be a relief to many people, uh, many women, if they knew when they went to the Adventist institution, there were only women that were going to care for them when it came to gynecology. You may say, well, hey, the, we're beyond that, Dr. DeRose. I was born in Europe. You know, we don't, that doesn't bother us. That's an American thing. I don't care where you were born. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of women that if they said, you know, if you go down to that hospital, the only one who's going to take care of the female problems are the ladies. It was institutional counsel. Having said that, I wasn't all that excited about getting a lot of training in obstetrics. And I was telling the story to the person who asked it to me, and I'll tell it to you now because some of you may be interested. Um, I started praying when I was on the OB rotation. I said, Lord, you know what I need to know. I don't think this is anything you really want me dealing with in the long term. But, um, you know, I just asked him to take charge. There was a young lady on the same team, medical school classmate of mine, who wanted to go into OB. Whenever she was on as a medical student, there were all these ladies that came in, you know, having babies left and right. You know, nine, ten deliveries when she's on duty. When I'm on, nobody came in. I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but, I mean, very few. I don't even re remember whether I ever delivered a, a baby uh, until, you know, I had my own children. You know, so maybe I would have been better served if I had, you know, had a little bit more training. But the point is, the Lord can orchestrate things, but it's not, not going to all be uh, rosy. If you're following the clearest light you have, and I tried to do this, this question came up too with Sabbath. Um, many of us need to be more concerned about what we do on Sabbath as health professionals. Okay? In fact, uh, Ellen White gives counsel that if you're making money on the Sabbath from medical work, you should put that money aside and uh, not benefit from it yourself, but she speaks about the benefit of using that money for people who don't have the means for medical care. It's something that she especially endorsed. But uh, as a medical student, I can remember a couple of rotations where I felt all I was doing on Sabbath was being asked just to do busy work for my education. And uh, on two occasions, I said I would not do that. Uh, on one occasion, I was at a community hospital. Fortunately, I had an Adventist intern. And uh, the Adventist intern every day made me write progress notes on the patients, and then he threw them out and wrote his own notes. He wouldn't let me write on the chart. And when Sabbath came, I said, you know, really conscientiously, I can't do this. You know, there's, uh, it, was a, it was a service where there weren't a lot of emergency things happening. They really didn't need me there. And he just got very irate. He's a seven, what do you mean? You know, you can't be here. You're keeping the Sabbath or whatever. So it went up to the chief resident, who fortunately was the Seventh-day Adventist also. And uh, he was even more irate that I would think that I could be off on Sabbath from the, this vital work that I was doing every day, writing progress notes and, uh, and then having them thrown away. I mean, re really, I was not doing much more than that. You might think I'm exaggerating. And so finally, these guys were both irate. It went to the chief. Now you knew I was in for trouble because this guy was Jewish or something, or, um, and I was going to be in big trouble. So I told the chief, I said, you know, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and I'm not really doing anything on the rotation. I don't, that's, that's critical. That things, uh, you know, and I, I would like to be off on Sabbath, or I'm planning, to, I don't know what I said. He said, well, that's no problem. We don't need you here. Yeah, you know, you're... Well, but, but listen, what happened, when it came to writing my evaluation, it wasn't the chief that wrote it. It was, it was the chief resident. And he wrote, you know, Dr. DeRose needs serious counseling as to whether he should, you know, even uh, remain a, a physician or whatever. 
Um, and so I, I had some bad evaluations, but it, uh, the Lord made it very clear he wanted me to go into internal medicine at Kettering, and uh, they didn't have any problem with whatever those bad rotations did to my class standing. What I'm simply telling you is, um, I mean, it doesn't mean everything's going to happen the way it's, and it doesn't mean you're supposed to make a stand for things that I made a stand, you'll even have to deal with that. But in health professional training, there may be some things, even in an Adventist setting, you have to say, God's called me to do this, this is the clearest light I have. Counsel with people of faith, uh, with bro your brothers and sisters, don't do something extreme unless God's really calling you to do it. If I was in error and I took too strong a position, I'm sorry for even sharing my bad example with you, but I just tell you that to say, God blesses us if we follow him. Amen. And I'm going to tell you one other thing. I got a call this, uh, this week, in fact, from someone far distant in an Adventist college. And this young lady was calling me because she had serious health problems. And as I was talking with her, I always tell people, you know, I can't diagnose or treat you over the phone, but, you know, what you're describing to me sounds like a lot of this may be related to anxiety and and she said, yeah, I'm a very driven student, and was you know, telling me about her, her student lifestyle. And I shared with her something that was very helpful to me. And I share this because I know there's a number of students here. Um, there came a point in my life, I was not an Adventist. Many of you have heard me say this already today when I started college. Became an Adventist, ended up going to Adventist school, which was not my plan either. And... Um, I actually appreciated the fact that Adventist teachers, some of them would pray before tests. And they would generally pray something like help the students remember what they studied and do well. You know, this is very comforting to me. Until I had this distressing thought. What would happen if God wanted me to do poorly on a test? Now, some of you find this shocking. But you see... Maybe I've got to tell you a little bit more background about this. When I was a young, when I was actually getting interested in the Bible, it was not only Seventh-day Adventists who were at Carleton, but there was an inner varsity Christian fellowship group. Uh, some of you know of Campus Crusade. There's a number of groups that work on secular college campuses. And I, through another providence, was attending these Bible studies with this group, and they would often have testimonies. And one of the girls shared one of these inspiring testimonies, how it was final exam week, and one of the girls in her dorm was going through some great crisis. I don't know if it was a family illness or if her boyfriend broke up with her. Whatever it was, it was some great crisis. And this Christian young lady, not an Adventist, felt that God led her to stay up all night ministering to this girl, even though it was final exams week. She had a final the next day. And you know how these stories end. You know, they take the final, they get an A. And so she tells the story, she took the final, and she got an F. And she was there in the testimony meeting, praising the Lord that she had this opportunity to minister to this girl that was more important to her than the grade she got on her test. Now, this was radical for me. I mean, you know, I was this driven student even before I was an Adventist. And so, I mean, this is kind of weird. Well, then I had another weird experience about a year later, because I had a teacher write on my final exam, a com now I'm a Christian at this point, I'm an Adventist, still at the secular college, a teacher wrote something on my final exam I have never seen before or since. What do you think he wrote on my final exam? He wrote, this looks over 
studied. <laughs> Overstudied. I got a high A on the test and a high A in the class, and I stopped and I said, you know what? I could have done a whole lot less work in that class. It was something, listen, it was something vitally important. It was art history, okay? Art history. Now, now don't, if you're in fine arts, don't misunderstand my comments here. But I, I really haven't used that art history all that much. Maybe you say it helped me be a more well-rounded person. Perhaps that's true. Maybe my clothes match better today. I don't know. But anyway, uh, what happened was I said, you know what, maybe my priorities were messed up. Maybe the Lord didn't want me spending so much time on this art history class. I still would have gotten an A. And so this, this was the background when I had this strange thought as a medical student at Loma Linda, thinking, what would happen if the Lord didn't want me to do well on a test? Maybe he didn't want me to do well. And so I actually started praying before my test in medical school Lord, you know what you want me to do in the future. You know, I've tried to be faithful, and maybe I've made mistakes in studying for this exam. You know what your plans are for me in the future. And, uh, you know, I, I, back then I knew if he wanted me to be a neurosurgeon, I'd probably have to be pretty high in my class or whatever. But I also knew that maybe if he didn't want me in neurosurgery, if I was the top guy in my class, maybe it'd be a temptation to do something I wasn't supposed to do. He's starting to follow my train of thinking. And so I started praying, Lord... If you want me to do poorly on this test, more poorly than I could do with what I know, because I already know too much, will just confuse my mind. Really, this is what I was praying. And I have to tell you what happened. The Lord actually never confused my mind. But the amazing thing that happened is all the, I had tremendous anxiety, you know, with tests and everything. It all just went, it evaporated. Because, see, really what I was saying is I was going to trust the Lord. Whatever, however he led, I was going to trust him. Amen. You see? I was going to put him first. He, knew, he knows what he needs me to do in life. And I'll tell, be honest with you. I knew it was possible to flunk out of medical school. I mean, I knew that was possible. And I'll be honest with you. I think there are students who have flunked out of medical school that are better off because they flunked out than the ones who, quote, succeeded. There's a lot of people that go through health professional training and sacrifice their Christian experience. You see? Whatever training you do, put Jesus first, okay? We need Adventist health professionals in our churches. We need Adventist health institutions, that sanitarium vision. Okay, what else is on your mind this afternoon? This is open-ended, but you see, a number of you were talking with me at the break. Did I remember everything, or was someone else supposed to give me a signal? Someone's pointing at someone. Oh, do we have that roving mic here? This roving mic is going to come to you. Since we need sanitariums, a lot of them, and I have a feeling there's a lot of health professionals that are here, or people who are very close to getting into health work, how can we facilitate the growth of sanitarium work in this country and around the world? Well, I mean, I could give you lots of examples, but, you know, one of the things is it starts with vision. You know, without a vision, the people perish. And if we would cultivate this vision, I believe just talking about the vision, just reading about the vision, God can use that. We were hearing about the foundation of the Christian life is the devotional life, right? Right? 
And we're spending time with Jesus in his counsel in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy. God will, will do amazing things. Um, not long ago, many of you know Chris and Leela Lewis. I don't think they're here. Uh, young husband and wife, uh, physician couple. I haven't seen them here. They're in this general neck of the woods. And uh, Chris and Leela are trying to start a sanitarium-type program in the Phoenix, Arizona area right now. I mean, they're just, just trying to get this off the ground and seeing God's providence. As I heard they shared something at ASI. Uh, I don't know if they shared about that or some other experience that they were dealing with. But it's just casting this vision and realizing that it's a call. And not just saying, yes, it's a call for us as a church, but it's not a call for me. You know, asking, Lord, are you calling me? to be part of this vision. That's why I'm at Weimar, if you want to know the truth. And that's how I got involved in pastoral work. I was completely happy in Oklahoma. We had started the Lifestyle Center of America there. The Lord led me away from that ministry. And I was actually doing a lot of medical evangelism, preaching and, and teaching. I was doing a lot of health media work. And uh, we we're very content with how God was working. But people started coming up to me because they'd been reading the Spirit of Prophecy too. They're saying, why aren't our physicians and ministers working together more closely? That's the divine plan. And uh, this was happening for about a number of months, and then I got a call from the Northern New England Conference, and they said, if we gave you a formal call to pastor, would you consider coming to pastor in Northern New England? And uh, my wife and I didn't have to pray very long, because we're praying about why aren't we doing this as a church? And I wasn't in a position where I could just say, well, look it, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. How are doctors and, physician, uh, doctors and pastors supposed to work more closely together? They wanted me to come up and pastor and especially do health evangelism. So we were content in Oklahoma, but we said, you know, how can we say, why aren't we doing more of this if I'm being asked to be involved and I say I can't do it? So we started praying a different prayer because especially my wife, she didn't want to leave. She said, Lord, if you want us to go, if you don't want us to go, close the doors. We were both praying that together. What she was praying wasn't telling me. What she was saying, Lord, if you want us to go, you've got to make it so clear, every decision has to be unanimous. You know, for a call to come through a conference, it's got to go through like a personnel committee and an executive committee and a uh, conference committee. And uh, we had had some experience with this in the past because there was a conference that wanted to hire me at one time and the conference committee shot it down because they said I couldn't be a good physician if I was willing to work for a minister's wage and uh, beside we should be putting our money into evangelism not health okay eh, true story so we're praying about this and uh, every time the conference president would call you know about a different committee my wife would ask this stupid question I don't know why I didn't ask her about it you know I'd say well the you know administrative committee is you know decided to extend an invitation to you. It's got to go to the personnel committee now. Was it unanimous, my wife would ask. Who cares? Yeah, it was unanimous. Okay, well, you know, the personnel committee, they, they uh, have, have ex, you know, extended the call pending the, uh, the conference committee uh, approving it. Was it unanimous, my wife asked. Sonia, why do you keep it? My wife is a very godly woman. I, I love her dearly. I don't know why I didn't ask her about this. But uh, finally, after all these unanimous decisions, she told me. She said, I'd been praying that every one of these decisions would be unanimous if the Lord wanted us in Maine. 
And uh, so that's where we ended up for three years. And then the same thing with Weimar. We were, the Lord was blessing our ministry there in northern New England. And every time we... See, but we kept reading about this sanitarium vision. And we kept reading about how we need to combine, like Jesus combined what? Teaching, preaching, and healing. That needs to be happening in our schools. And so, you know, after they asked me the first time, and we prayed about it, we said, okay, I think the Lord might be leading this way. We were too, the Lord was just blessing in New England. We, we, it was clear we weren't supposed to leave. It came up a number of times. Finally, it came to the point where it was just clear. The Lord was saying, look it, do you believe in this vision in the council? They're asking you to help with it. They're trying to do the best they can at Weimar. Are you, you want to be part of it or you want to see how things fly? And if it, if it flies and everyone says, oh, this is really good, it's a great ministry, then you can go some years later. Hey, that, we don't need a bunch of people sitting on the fences, waiting to see if things work out, waiting to say, oh, there's some unbalanced people there. You know, there's some problems there. You know, well, I'm going to start something. If I start something, it's going to start from scratch because all kinds of problems. If you go someplace where there's already a church or already people, I'm going to only start new churches and new institutions. The Lord may not call you to do that. I mean, where did he call Elijah to? I mean, think about it. Where did he call him to? The northern king. How many good kings did they have from the northern ten tribes? Zero. None. They were all bad. And so God sent Elijah to a lousy church. That's where he sent him. Now, I'm not saying you're supposed to find the worst church you can be a member of. But if the Lord sends you to a bad church, or if he's got you in one, maybe you're part of the solution. And it starts by you living your life, and reading the council, and reading the Bible, and, and asking the question, like Paul did, Lord, what would you have me do? And at just the right time, he'll make it clear to you. I've seen it many, many times in my life. So I can't give you a blueprint for what you're supposed to do. But if the Lord moves on this group to say, okay, look it, we're here in the Southwest, we're a bunch of young people with energy, we're not old like Dr. DeRose, you know, he can't see the vision anymore, but we're going to start a health institution right here. Well, go for it. I wouldn't discourage you at all. But there's going to be a lot of challenges, I can tell you that. But the Lord will bless you through every one of those. Okay, we got uh, time for one more question or two. There's a hand that's been up over here. Yeah, my name's Emily, and uh, my question has to do with um, the different health professionals. Um, as far as I know, I've heard of um, public health, which you're into. Um, there's nursing, there's um, like dietetics, there's nutrition, there's, there's a lot of other things as well, which I'm not mentioning. But what I'm asking is, how can you integrate um, ministry, or what would be your vision as far as how to integrate ministry into these different health professions, and um, especially what is your opinion about um, which health profession is the easiest to integrate ministry into? Okay, everyone take a good look at Emily. If you're a health professional, you can give her advice from your own personal uh, experience. If you're excited about the health ministry that you have, um, I think, from the counsel we have in my own experience, the most powerful ministry was when you're part of a team, whether it's at the local church, whether it's at the Adventist Health Clinic, whether it's at the Adventist Sanitarium. This is the most powerful. Because if I'm, when I'm at Weimar and I don't have time to spend as much time with someone one day, a patient, 
who's got spiritual needs, I know it doesn't all ride on my shoulders. Not that I would neglect that, but um, I know they're going to be seeing other people throughout the day who are ministering to them spiritually. And the collective influence is much more powerful. After all, in John 17, Jesus didn't pray to make us all one-man evangelistic teams. Do you know what a one-man evangelistic team is? You know, the solo ministry? That's not God's special calling. God's special calling is to call people into the body. And uh, we could have spent a lot of time, maybe we'll talk about this in the group question and answer session, but there's a problem with even the theme of this conference if it's not understood correctly, biblically. Because a lot of people, there's unbalanced people who think the call to stand means that they've got to be as an individual standing up against the whole church. This is a very, very unusual calling. The most usual calling is where God calls us to build one another up to be part of a team, okay? So it's the same with any, you know, is there something more important than another? It's true, usually people who have doctoral level training usually are in decision-making capacity, and people who are not, I mean, it's not, this is just a very, you know, you can give me hundreds of examples where this isn't true, but people who have less training usually are working for someone else. And it's not bad to work for someone else. I'm just saying, you say, you know, where do you have more latitude? Sure, if you're a physician, you start your own practice, you can do whatever you want, but you know what the counsel was originally? Counsel was that physicians should not go into private practice. That we were supposed to be employed by the church in sanitary ministry. You know what the irony is? The irony is that many of our most dedicated Seventh-day Adventist physicians and dentists have had to start their own practices to have a ministry-focused organization that they could be in charge of. I mean, it's, it's ironic. You see, because we as a church have neglected that calling. In fact, we've, many churches and conferences have distanced them. We don't want to be involved with medical work because there's a liability risk. Okay? So that's not to criticize where anyone's at right now, but let's not lose the big picture. And so for Emily's benefit, we've got a particular ministry that you're really excited about, whether it's nursing or dietetics or physical therapy or medicine or naturopathic medicine. Yes, I said naturopathic medicine. Um, there are several accredited naturopathic schools, and uh, they do some good things. They probably teach a lot of error there, too. I don't know. Uh, all that they're, they're doing, but I've worked with some people from Bastyr, which is up in the Seattle area, and they're giving some good natural remedies training. Maybe they're doing some spiritualistic stuff too. By the way, I'm going to make one aside about that. As Adventists, let's try to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And I'm very concerned about our inability to build bridges with some of the people that are most sympathetic to natural medicine. Many non-Adventists who are using a variety of natural systems are using things that we know have spiritualistic roots. It does not help us one bit to tell someone that what they're doing is of the devil. I mean, these are not Seventh-day Adventists, okay? Meet them where they're at. Help them where they're at. You emphasize what's true. And when you're emphasizing what's true and when God's blessing it, they're going to see that's more powerful than all the crystals or the applied kinesiology or the other nonsense. And it is really nonsense. But the problem is this nonsense is packaged with people who often give them good counsel. You see? They say, you know, put some salt in your hand. 
and you know, now you're all, you're, you know, very weak, and this shows that you shouldn't be eating salt, um, and you know, you stop eating the salt, and what happens? Your blood pressure goes down. Well, the blood pressure didn't go down because your hand got weak when you were holding the salt. Do you, do you see the, the point? Or if someone, you know, looks at your foot, and they're doing a reflexology, and they can say, I see you've got liver cancer. That's why you're feeling so bad. You don't have liver cancer. But they tell you to do all these crazy things, like be on a vegetarian diet and exercise every day and drink a lot of pure water, and you start doing that. And what happens? You start feeling better, and you say, look, and they, you come back, and they look at your foot, liver cancer's cured. Well, you never had liver cancer to begin with. But don't tell someone who's been to a practitioner like that that they're out to lunch, and they're following Satan. I mean, maybe some of their methods are having roots that we wouldn't want to endorse but they were giving a lot of good counsel too. So don't shoot yourself in the foot. Well, if you get me, you know, talking about too much philosophy, I'll get into Mike Orlich's meetings tomorrow because he's, he's also going to talk about philosophy and, uh, and medical science. So you don't want to miss those. We do need to close. If you have some final burning questions, we have a group panel. And my guesses will be mostly about relationships anyway. So if you've got a few health questions, you can throw those in as well. Let's pray together as we uh, finish. Gracious Father, you have spent pages and pages in your inspired word in the Bible casting a vision from the life of Elijah, from the life of Jesus, from Jesus' commissioning services, from the gifts of the Holy Spirit, from the priesthood of all believers, that every single one of us is called not only to a ministry of sharing the good news, the gospel, the spiritual message, but you've called us to be involved in teaching people and involved in practical health ministry. We've hardly talked about it, though, even though we've talked for two hours. And the encouraging thing to me is this doesn't rest on my shoulders or on Mike Orlich's shoulders or Southwestern GYC's shoulders because you've given us an ample amount of counsel that's designed to help us individually, to help us at the local church level, to help us at the conference level. Father, please help us to know how to apply these things in our own lives and to make a difference. And Father, as we close, um, I don't like to preach in prayer, but God has come into my mind about that statement you make in Ministry of Healing, page 149 and 150. Will you say that every church should be a training school for Christian workers? And Father, as I just think about that thought, I pray that people here, if their church is not a training school, that you'd somehow help them to see practical things they can do, whether it's connecting with Sebastian Braxton, what they're doing with, with, uh, with that ministry and training people in churches, whether it's just a stronger connection with GYC, whether it's other ministries represented here that are training people at the local church level, help to make our local churches more vibrant agencies for salvation and for health ministry everywhere they're at and help us individually make a difference, each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.